0: I was never very good at foreign languages in school. Uh, In high school, I took three years of German. In college, I took two more years of German, uh, all with the same uh, less-than-stellar results. I passed the courses, and that's all that you need to know. Uh, (laughs) And I thought that I was done with foreign languages forever when I finally completed that last German requirement in college, but then I got to seminary. And I had to take four semesters of ancient Greek. And I did, again, okay, I passed the courses, that's all that you need to know. (laughs) And even now, today, I still can pull out a little bit of Greek here and there, but I will never be the Greek scholar or expert that you might need, so please don't ask. But all of this is just to say that I don't know a lot about foreign languages, but I do know one thing for sure, one thing for absolute certainty, and that's that if you want to really impress someone and really get them to pay attention to what you're about to say, all you have to do is say it in Latin. Have you ever noticed this? That if you use a Latin phrase, it somehow gives credence to whatever you're trying to talk about. People will sound all impressive when they say, oh, it's, it's a quid pro quo. Where have we heard that recently? Oh, let's not get into that. But even at other situations, too, universities will come up with their motto, and then rather than just write it on their emblem, they'll put it in Latin words, right? Or, or bands will name their album some sort of obscure Latin phrase just to get you to pay attention. What is it about Latin that impresses us? What is it about saying something in a foreign language that makes us just pay a little bit more attention? I want to talk with you this morning about some of the strange ways that we as people get impressed by stuff that ultimately doesn't matter. We're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 5. Truth be told, this is probably one of my absolute favorite Bible stories. And so when I saw it come up in the lectionary cycle, I knew I had to preach on it. Second Kings chapter five, it's pages 311 and 312 in your pew Bibles if you're looking for it. But I've titled this sermon, Sick Transit Gloria, which of course is Latin for glory fades." glory fades. Please join me in a word of prayer. May the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. All right, if you wouldn't mind standing with me as we read the word of God together, this is 2 Kings chapter 5. And they had kind of broken up the reading a little bit, but I think it's important for us to just go straight through. So we're going to read verses 1 through 15c. Naming, the commander of the army of the king of Aram was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans, on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel and she served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, if only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, go then and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. And so Naaman went taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots, and he halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger out to him, saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and far-far the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached him and said to Naaman, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was wash and be clean? So Naaman went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. And then Naaman returned to the man of God. He and all his company, he came and stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Church, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks for standing that whole time. I know it's a long reading, but it is a really good one. We, We have this guy, Naaman, who's really impressive. Right. He's not like speaking Latin or anything, but he is the commander of the armies and he has brought victory to his king again and again and again. He is powerful. He is a leader. He is brave and courageous. And so we should all be really impressed by this guy, Naaman. Except we've got a problem. Naaman has a really big problem. We read he has leprosy. And now in those days, if you had leprosy, a a normal person with leprosy would be put out of the community in general. They would put you off to the side and and ostracize you because they would not want to get sick or catch the leprosy you have. The very fact that Naaman is still valued in his society and that he can still talk to the king shows you just how important and powerful and impressive he really is. Because again, any normal person, they wouldn't have gotten the time of day. But the problem is Naaman has built up all of this impressive pedigree that we should really give him respect for, only, as we can see, it's fading. As I said, the title of this sermon is Glory Fades, and Naaman and all that he has built is slowly fading and deteriorating. And I'm guessing we can all resonate with this a little bit, can't we? I know that I'm supposed to be the young guy around here, but I'll admit to you, That my mile time is not what it used to be. Eighth grade Nate can run circles around 33-year-old Pastor Nate, that's for sure. And my vertical leap is definitely not where it used to be. Skinny, scrawny 18-year-old Nate could get up a lot more than 33-year-old Nate, who's maybe carrying around a few extra pounds. And of course, my bench press, well, well, that was never very good to begin with, so let's just move along. But this is what happens to us, isn't it? They say that the average American will live to be somewhere around 80 years old, typically. And yet our physical peak is somewhere around 25. And so most of your life is just spent declining. I hate to break it to you. (laughs) And for some of us, that can be a really difficult reality to wrap our minds around. It can be so frustrating and so disappointing that you're not able to do what you used to do. And it's not just with our physical bodies either, is it? Everything in our life that we work so hard for will eventually pass away. The prestigious position that you climb the corporate ladder to get to, eventually you'll you'll retire or you'll get replaced by someone else. All the wealth that you spend your life accumulating, well, as they say, you can't take it with you. And it's either gonna go to Uncle Sam or maybe if you plan well enough to your church. Just say. Just saying. <laughs> but the message is clear. <laughs> glory fades and passes away. And nothing lasts forever. Naaman is dealing with this reality. His glory is fading. And he sees that all of this power and authority that he's worked so hard to accumulate is vanishing before his eyes. And what's interesting is it's actually, we find out, a young girl who had been captured in a skirmish who gives Naaman the idea to go to Israel. This young girl was from Israel, and so she knew about the prophet Elisha, and she suggests it as a possibility. Maybe you could go to him and be healed. And so that's where the idea comes from. Not from some big, brand, powerful strategy, but from a captured servant girl. God starts to work. And so what happens is the king of Aram sends a letter with Naaman off to the king of Israel. Saying, hey, I'm sending you my most powerful military leader. I need you to heal him. And this is what upsets the king of Israel so much because suddenly he's in a very difficult position. The king of this foreign country has sent his most powerful military leader to be healed in the country of Israel. And so if something happens to Naaman, the king of Israel thinks he's going to be held responsible. If he can't fix Naaman's health and Naaman's problem, he's going to be in trouble. And so he's afraid And he's upset and he tears his clothes, which in those days is a way of saying, has a temper tantrum. And I think in a lot of ways, we're also a lot like the king of Israel. As we make our way through life, we can become scared or afraid or angry because we feel like we don't have the necessary power and authority to get done what we want to get done. We spend so much of our life worrying that we're not smart enough, or that we're not successful enough, or that we're not doing things the right way. We spend so much of our time with this mindset that says, oh, we have to be totally put together and powerful and important. That all of these things are somehow better than just who we are and who God made us to be. We get into this mindset of lack, and it slowly destroys us. It's not a mindset of faith in what God can do. It's a mindset of somehow lacking that we haven't actually been given enough. And of course, Naaman, in our story we see, actually carries this type of mindset as well. What Naaman does is he tries to show the world that he's still got it all together. Which really, as we often know, is, is an expression of his own fear, right? The people who are the most loud, boisterous, and showing off are often those who are the most scared. What Naaman does when he goes to Israel is he gathers together all his chariots and all of his troops, and he rides up to Elisha's front door. A big display of power. And authority. Elisha, look what I can do. Look who's all behind me. Look how put together I am. And Elisha, of course, doesn't even come out of his tent. He sends a messenger and said, someone who, a a go-between person, who simply tells Naaman, go wash in the Jordan River and you'll be fine. This will clear up in a week. But church, that's the message of this story. You see, We, like Naaman and like the king of Israel, need a mindset change. We keep thinking and we are told again and again that having lots of money, having lots of influence, having lots of power is what will make our life work. But God has a different message for us. It's not power and authority and glory that matters. God works in the subtle and mysterious, and oftentimes ordinary ways to accomplish what God needs to do. It's a messenger from Elisha who comes out and tells Naaman, go wash in the Jordan River seven times and everything will be fine. And Naaman responds in anger. He was expecting a big, glorious display. He was expecting Elisha to come out and do some sort of complicated magic trick. There's got to be a couple of backflips in here or something in order for Naaman to take notice. But that's not the way that God works. God works through the waters of the Jordan River. What you don't know is at that time and in that place, the Jordan River was thought of as a very dirty, ordinary river. That's why Naaman mentions these other two rivers. He's like, those two are much more impressive, much more clean, much more magical than the Jordan. And so he's about to walk away. But again, for the third time in this passage, a servant steps in. And it's one of Naaman's servants this time who convinces him and says, Hey, maybe you should just give it a try at least. We came all this way. I know it's not what you were expecting, but... Let's just see what happens. And of course, Naaman washes in the dirty Jordan River and he is made clean and fully healed. You see, church, we have a mindset problem. Naaman had a mindset problem and he thought that the only way for God to show up was in something big, powerful, glorious and impressive. But the truth is that God shows up in the ordinary, unexpected and out-of-way places. Think about all those great stories in Scripture that you love. The big, powerful, huge man named Goliath comes and says, I'm going to destroy Israel. And God sends a little shepherd boy with a couple of rocks and a slingshot named David to save the Israelite people. And it happens again here with Naaman. Naaman's expecting to have to do some sort of magic trick in some sort of big fancy river, but God uses the dirty waters of the Jordan River to heal and save and restore Naaman. And God comes to earth to be with us as a tiny baby in a manger born to unwed parents. And God chooses to save the world through a man dying on a cross executed as an ordinary criminal you see church we have to change our glory mindset so much of life teaches us that glory and power is all that matters that you've got to be put together and impressive that you've got to achieve and achieve and achieve again but the truth is that's not how God works Jesus Christ didn't come to earth to conquer and destroy and overpower. He came to give his life for our sake. And to show us that God's way of love is always more powerful than whatever the world might have to offer. God is with the weak and the lowly and the vulnerable. The church has to stop thinking that we need more fog machines or laser light shows or anything flashy and impressive, bigger buildings, more programs. The church has to stop thinking that that's what's going to save us. And remember that it's the power and love of Jesus Christ which always saves. Church, God shows up in the lowly, out-of-way places. And God shows up when we act with love and compassion for one another. When you sit with your friend who's going through a difficult time, God is there. When you show up at someone's funeral just as a matter of support, God is there. When you have the courage to admit you're wrong, God is there too. When you have the courage to forgive someone who's wronged you, God is there as well. Jesus' way of love completely subverts what we might expect, just as God's way of healing in the Jordan River completely subverted Naaman's expectations. But it needs to be a reminder to us that God is present in the vulnerable and out-of-way places in this world. That's where we need to look for God. That's the work that we need to do as a church. Friends, it has often been said, ube karitas, Et amor Deus Ibi Est, which is Latin for where charity and love are, there God is. Amen.